Hölander, antar att ni träffar ett ungt par som blir område. Jag förmodar att det händer också i verkligheten. Och de vill gifta sig, men de har ingen bostad. Och de är heller inte rika. Vilket råd ger ni dem då? Ja, de får ju ställa sig i bostadskön givetvis. Welcome to Here There Be Dragons. This season, I'm taking you to Stockholm. I'm your host, Jess Myers. Episode 3, Moving. I've never lived longer than two years in one place, since I was 18. <laughs> and before I was 18, I moved like 10 times. When you move to a big city, you... Uh, especially stocked where it's really really hard to find a, some place to live you don't stop and think about how the city is or the environment around it because you are you are trapped in in the race just to make it to the end of the month when i moved to stockholm the apartment I lived in was loaned to me for free by the Swedish Arts Grants Committee, Konstnärsnamnden. This meant I got to skip a quintessential step of staying in a new city, finding housing. I'm someone who's scrounged around for accommodation in many corners of the world. Being scammed, rejected, and fleeced is the norm of moving to me. But moving to Stockholm was like being chauffeured by the housing ferry directly into the heart of the city. No questions asked. It was so easy, I was a little suspicious. Laundry in the building? Balcony with a view? Walking distance from work? <laughs> Not possible. There had to be a mistake. But Stockholmers let me know that, yes, my situation was indeed a fluke. Pure privilege and institutional insulation. For any one of the people I met in the city. Living in the apartment that I was staying in would have been a long, complicated wait or sheer luck. Housing in Stockholm is complex, which is a soft way of saying it's a crisis. Now, I know what you're going to say. Isn't that the case for most major cities? Yeah, but Sweden's entire population could fit in the metro region of Paris. If a city of under 2 million people can't figure it out, what chance do the rest of us have? Although Stockholm is facing a problem that's pretty common, its solutions have always been unique. Like most cities, it grapples with the question of whether housing is a human right. So how do you even get a place in the city? Let's begin at the beginning. Or more accurately, let's get in line. Up until the 90s, the most common form of housing stock in Sweden was public housing. And when I say public housing, I mean it. Housing for the public. Not exclusively for low- or middle-income residents, for everyone. A major reason for that was because most of these housing estates were publicly owned. So it wasn't social housing, it was publicly owned housing, tenant-neutral, so anybody could live there. Since the 1920s, Sweden's national government developed urban experiments, buying up land and building housing. Basically, the state became the nation's landlord. Sweden's socialist political party, the Social Democrats, rose to power during this time, and one of the main platforms was crafting the nation's social safety net. 
One philosophy that rose from this moment was the idea that housing is a basic human right. Remember in the first episode when Gunilla moved to Stockholm? I think already when I went to school, I had all the time to pass a big hole, which was the city now with her toilet and everything. It was just a hole. <laughs> so you went on bridges and things like that. Much of the development that happened around her was for housing. Housing is one of the hairiest urban planning questions. You have to get the balance absolutely perfect. If you build too much, the cost of upkeep could bankrupt the state. But if you build too little, you'll have a human crisis on your hands in no time. Sweden is a case study of this teeter-totter. Constantly chasing the perfect balance and the right way to get it is always up for debate. The um, classic question posed to the prime minister was that what would your recommendation be for a young couple moving to Stockholm in order to find housing? Here's Eric again. He's the architect and researcher at the Royal Institute of Technology in Stockholm. He helped us understand the political stakes of the housing crisis back in the 50s and 60s. His answer was, well, they can get in line. And the reporter said, well, you know, there's 60 or 70,000 people in line. Obviously, this young couple is not going to get um, housing. Enter the queue, an ominous presence in the life of many Swedes. The city of Stockholm has this line that I think last time I checked was like maybe 20 years waiting time. When you get to the front of the line, you win the jackpot, a lease you can hold for the rest of your life. But waiting can literally take a lifetime, 20 years or even longer. I might be dead by the time my name comes up. I mean, maybe. These lines can get so long that Stockholmers used to put their children on the housing queue as soon as they were born. Although now the rule is you have to be at least 18 to be on the line. Start to live in Vaxholm. Uh, and, you know, you put your kids in that line. And... Uh... I lived in Solna. When they were born. I lived in Stureby. That was like six years when I was first put in this queue out in Jakobsberg. And if you are put in that line, you will get an apartment by year 30. <laughs> A white contract. I'm not sure you can do that anymore, put uh, babies in the line. I found a place in Björkhagen through, uh, through an uh, friend. Uh, or if you have to enter the line when you're of age, maybe... 18 or 20, so, you know, that changes a lot. I also found one in uh, Stureby. The prices are uh, ridiculously high. The one in Jakobsberg was also through a friend. So it's very hard to enter into the market with an average income. Uh, everyone I know have lived with, with a black contract. You need to be at least two or you need to have a very high income. It's a contract that is not approved by the... Um, company that which owns the, the apartment so you live there illegal if, if someone had found out i would be kicked out on the street immediately and just to make things a little more interesting the lines also have different categories once for students once for residents over 65 once for residents under 26 and so on stockholm is full of queues but the trick of the lines is that you need to know to get on them for Gustav and Ahu, that was the most difficult part. Uh, you have to find out about queues. If you're a single woman, then there might be a queue where you can, you know, and uh, things like this. Yeah, Or there's artist things as well. But now I'm learning that there's privately owned companies 
that you can get on their their lists? I'm on the big general queue, and I'm on maybe five different private queues for just property developers who have their own queues, basically. For the general one, there's a fee of 200 kronas per year, but there's no way of telling if you will ever get get something out of it, I guess. The lease I have now, the contract I have now, I have a second because I'm renting from the owner and it's not a management company, but they can only rent to me every nine months because I can claim ownership of the house, right? If it's more than that. Every nine months, and they have, they give me two months notice to vacate. You, you should be on the cube, but like, I don't know. I probably left Stockholm by then. I think so. You know, it's it, part of me doesn't really care because part of me goes like, I don't want to live here for the rest of my life anyway. The question of where to go and what to do gets even harder when you're new in town. For Yasmin, who moved to Stockholm from Somalia after seeking asylum, not having a head start of knowing the rules or even the language left her and her mother scrambling for security. Their confusion was often met with more suspicion than assistance. When Yasmin's mother was no longer qualified for resources for newly arrived asylum seekers, their access to stability fell apart. Uh, Difficult is an understatement. Impossible. You can't. Uh, Even people who have jobs, who've been living here for a very long time, can't find housing. So imagine somebody who doesn't have a job, doesn't speak the language, has nothing to show that she can pay the rent, she will, she, it's impossible. She can't find a house. Yeah, there's a housing shortage. On top of that, there's like a hierarchy of people who are really excluded from the housing market, which is poor people, immigrants, people who don't speak the language, people who don't have jobs, unemployed people. And my mom falls in that group, like all those categories. So after oh. January, what is she going to do? So she basically can't do anything. It's like she needs to be registered in an address. She's thinking of uh, depending on relatives' kindness for a while and then see if how long that works for her because the municipality has um, made it clear that they were not going to do anything about her situation. So, yeah, she doesn't really have a foolproof plan. Okay, so here we are on the line. Either we just found out about it or we've been on it since we were born. But until you actually get the apartment, what do you do? Where do you live? For many Stockholmers, the only certain thing about the housing market is precarity and ingenuity. Some immigrants to Sweden pay small sums to rent an official address. Some young people study for longer just to maintain student housing. But many Stockholmers rely heavily on subletting. You're lucky if you just have a second-hand black contract. And then sub-subletting. You know, there's the first contract. And then sub And the second sub, contract. Subletting. And the inaboenda. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but I think I am because I've been in a boenda for a while. Where you rent a room. These arrangements are difficult to come by and often illegal. You need to know someone. Having a lease is called a first-hand contract. A sublet is called a second-hand contract. 
And that's not even getting into third-hand contracts, fourth-hand contracts, and all the shady deals that are sometimes the only option. You need to have some some kind of connection to get somewhere, to have somewhere to live. It's it's not that easy even to get a black black contract because you must know someone. And I know I have friends which have actually bought the black contract and they paid, I think it was 200,000 crowns just to have access to that black contract. It's not that un- uncommon. So you pay 200,000 crowns and uh, if if they find out where you live there, you get kicked out on the street immediately. If you get a first contract, you have it for life. Second contract is like you're renting from the f- person who has the first contract. And then in a blend is, is a room. So... Right now I have a second contract. I've basically never had a legal contract to stay. Like I don't today either. I think I've been super lucky or also like I've, if someone's given me like a a little bit, maybe a shady contract, I've been like, oh yeah, that'll work. It's a house. I don't care. Um, so I think maybe not being too afraid of getting caught or like not being afraid of... Um, people I think or different odd spots to live I've never had a legal contract I've always lived in where it's like you can't have your mail here if someone knocks don't open like it's always been that type of situation yeah So, how did Stockholm get here? Why is it so hard to find stability in the city? Well, in the 1970s, Sweden's economy went into a recession. Demand for housing dipped, leaving municipalities with no revenue to maintain units. What most municipalities are left with is a number of empty apartments. So the government has already financed it. And the municipalities have ordered them or asked for them, and the companies have built them, but there's no one moving into them. So in Södertälje, for example, south of Stockholm, um, in one of the last areas built uh, during the Million Program in Hovsjö, there were apartments that were empty for 10 years. So from 1975, when they were completed, to 1985, nobody rented them. And of course, this was a huge strain on the municipal budgets. And in smaller municipalities and counties around Sweden, actually, apartments were torn down because there was no demand for them. Remember the tricky balance we talked about, that perfect housing ratio? Well, that teeter was tottering. By the 90s, neoliberal policies were gaining popularity across the globe. In Sweden, a more conservative coalition ended the Social Democrats' near 70-year run of unilateral power. One of the key promises that this new administration made was the privatization of public housing. They decided that the only way to reestablish balance was through privatizing. If the state can't afford to maintain housing, then just sell the housing directly to residents. Then they can take care of it themselves, right? Problem solved. Well, not so fast. So the living situation in Stockholm is really, really, really bad. There's a village, but still it's a pretty complex city uh, and not that friendly. I'm really happy I'm outside of that situation because I think it's absolutely... A horrific situation that is going on. It's almost impossible 
to get the first hand rental contract? I mean, I have an apartment now. I was in the queue for 18 years to get an apartment in Washta. The reason for that is that people who have won never let go. <laughs> uh, they they pass it on to their family. Uh, and they always just stay within the rental market. So they, if they want to move, you find somebody to to switch apartments with, which is like not an easy task because nobody can make up their mind in the city. I can't deal with that stress. It was quite hard just to get an apartment, so I left Stockholm for like two or three years. And when I came back, my grandmother had died. Her apartment. When they sold it, I mean, so I got uh, enough money to buy an apartment in Årsta. Buying housing and just taking care of it yourself sounds great, right? No more lines, no more shady contracts. Well, buying housing is great, if you can afford it. And all that rental revenue that used to go to the state and help fund maintenance, well, that was going directly to the banks now. Housing was no longer a human right, but an investment piece. After rentals were privatized, housing costs skyrocketed because those who couldn't afford to buy were left to chase what was left of the rental market. And after privatization, there wasn't a whole lot left, making the lines even longer. Ulrika, who teaches gender studies at Uppsala University, helped us understand the impact of privatization on housing access in the city. So long story short, part of what happened in the 90s was that a lot of the hyresrätter, so the, the rental public housing, got um, sold, turned into bostadsrättsföreningar, so housing associations, which meant that the number of rentable flats was drastically reduced and you had to be in a housing queue forever, which of course made it impossible for people who weren't born into knowing that to ever get a rental first-hand contract which then in turn made it so, I think, that people who... You had to either come from wealth, which means the northern part, um, or you had to come from outside of Stockholm, so people with who had wealth that could be translated into down payments for apartments. I was in the queue for 18 years to get an apartment in Washta. 14 years when I got the first apartment. Sweden's path from housing as a public good to housing as a private investment has been a rough transition. Today's housing market is still a hodgepodge of public, private, and black markets. The precarity that many Stockholmers find themselves in often has to do with a complete lack of access. The housing success stories I heard from Stockholmers were usually the result of a big break, knowing the right person who knows a person who knows a person. Whether looking to buy or desperate to rent, every story of luck in the housing market hinged on the divine intervention of friends of friends, elderly residents, generous strangers, or providential housing swaps. Our script consultant, Fatu, a librarian who also works in restaurants, told us that she usually wears a pin that says, looking for an apartment. I mean, it couldn't hurt, and you never know what could happen. I was really lucky when I was uh, younger. Uh, the area I was from, Solna, they were like, oh, everyone that have is living with parents and is like above 18 years old are going to get an apartment. So I got an apartment when I was like 21, turning 22. 
and then I switched my apartment from sauna to uh, here in Söderman with an old lady. She put like a note on the building where where I was uh, living, and then it took like three months, and then we switched apartments. Well, it was through my personal contacts, and uh, it happened to be that. Uh, person I didn't know so well, but who was in my network, my friend network, not my work network. Uh, she had to move to Gotland and I had to move to Stockholm in the same uh, time. So we just swapped apartments and uh, continued to pay our own fees uh, during this time. So I ended up at a midsummer party in Uppsala and there I met this American guy who kindly enough um, found housing for me in Stockholm. I told him that I was going to start a study program or a residency program at the Royal Institute of Art, Kungliga Konsökskolan, for a year, maybe two. Um, and he announced me that it is very difficult to find, to find housing in Stockholm. And so he, through his own network of connections within the world of architecture, since he did his studies here, he was able to find to find housing for me in uh, on Södermalm. I have to say, it was a huge relief and a bigger privilege to not worry about housing while I was living in Stockholm. But housing insecurity breeds more than just the constant stress of finding a place to call home. It also means that residents have less and less of a say where they live and have to jump at the first viable option, even if it only holds them over for a few months. Beyond financial constraints and cultural knowledge, there are many obstacles to accessing housing in the city. Add age, family size, citizenship, language, And you see residents' options get smaller and smaller until only a few neighborhoods are left on the table. Also, to you city planning heads out there wondering why we haven't talked about the Millions program, trust us, it's coming. You can't get out of Stockholm without getting into it. So stick with us for the next episode, where we'll be exploring how the city is organized and the different types of access that residents may or may not have. Stay tuned. The next episode is Segregation, Part 1. We are produced with the generous support of the Graham Foundation for Advanced Studies in the Fine Arts and Konstnaushnamden, the Swedish Arts Grants Committee. Thank you to our senior producer, Adelie Pajram-Ponte, and our team of graduate assistants from the Architecture Department at the Rhode Island School of Design. Kimberly Ayala Nahira. Belal Ismail Ahmad. Daniel Guerrero. Uthman Aloa. Fatu Kamara consults for the show. Corey Jacobs does our music. And Adrian Lilly is our sound designer. If you're not a Patreon subscriber yet, you're really missing out on some very cool stickers and a mini-series to the mini-series of all the digressions and cool stories that we had to cut out of the show. These episodes focus usually on one speaker, and you ought to check them out. They're very cool. If you still can't get enough of us, you can find us on social media, all links in the show notes. 
And you can also check out our website and our newsletter, where we have lots of fun content like readings, maps, and videos. If you have a comment or a question, and you're brief, record it and send it to us at htbdpodcast at gmail.com. You might end up on the show. Lastly, but certainly not least, rate and review us five shining stars on whatever platform you listen to us on. It really helps other people find the show. Okay, until next time, this has been Here There Be Dragons. my apartment illegally but I don't know if I can say it I still can go to prison I think <laughs>